Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us at another Next Level Brands podcast. We're always grateful for your feedback and comments that we get. If you have an idea for a show, a guest, or a topic, feel free to reach out. Let us know. I'm available at steve at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, levelbrands.com. And if you enjoy the show, please follow us. Take a minute to subscribe. And of course, refer us to your friends because the more, the merrier. I'm Steve Clear. And we often say here at the Next Level Brands community that you can't do too much research. But the challenge is to know what to study and how to draw hypotheses or conclusions from it and then make those things actionable for your own business. Our guest today does just that. Sarah Marion has been the Director of Syndicated Research at Murphy Research since 2019. In this role, she leads Murphy Research's syndicated offerings, including the State of Our Health Syndicated Tracker, overseeing topic development, study, design, execution, analysis, and storytelling, all of which we're going to touch on today. As a cultural anthropologist, Mary is an expert at connecting the dots between many types of information, from academic research and ethnographic insights to everyday beliefs, behaviors, and objects. This can bring to life, this can bring life rather an insight to mere numbers. This produces stories to which brands and products can then identify. She specializes in health and wellness, food and beverage, CPG, sustainability, the natural and organic market, and shopper insights. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you very much. So, wow. Um, when people talk about something like cultural anthropology, and I'm making little brownies to try and sell, there's there's so much that you could just go, wait a minute. Why would I need anything like that for my business? And then there's the other side that goes, well, maybe I should understand why people eat what they eat and better yet, what are they going to be eating tomorrow? Because that's what I really need to know. So talk to us a little bit about that, cultural anthropology and, and, and food and health and wellness. Sure. So I originally wanted to be a professor of anthropology and uh, eventually did see the writing on the wall about academic life. And so in the course of writing my dissertation, I started looking into other careers, and uh, that's how I found market research. And in fact, my advisor is one of the early pioneers of food studies, which is now its own discipline. Um, right. So the anthropology of food is now a thing that people study, and he was one of the originators of that. And so I got a, a little bit of that interest from him, but I was also interested in, in objects, in how kind of people in America yep. uh, do what they do, get what, get things done. Why are they interested in the things that they're interested in, which is what any anthropologist is interested in. And so market research was a great switch in terms of, I still got to do some of that, but now in the service of various types of brands and companies. And I think to your point, anthropology is uh, useful in that it, it does, it's, it's about connecting those dots. So it's, in between psychology, which is about individuals, and sociology, which I also feel like I do some of, which is about <laughs> macro populations and big right. numbers, and that we're trying to figure out how individuals and societies like connect to each other and how the thing, the trends that we see at the society level make their way down to the individual level, because that's where brands and companies intervene too. And in many ways in America today, and as in most of the world, how we interact with companies is how we interact with society in a good portion of our lives. <laughs> the the impact of, of branding, right? As branding is 
in civilization relatively new. I mean, relatively. Mm -hmm. And this idea that people would come to identify with brands like they identified with a country or a flag or a tribe or their ancestors or whatever is, is all in all pretty amazing. But when you go to look at that, for instance, working with, with Murphy, are, are you looking at, do you sit down and go, okay, guys, we need to find out more about health and wellness. So what are the driving forces? Let's study this. Or does somebody come to Murphy and say, hey, we need to understand what's happening with aspirin usage because it's down, but we don't know why. How does that work? It's actually both. Okay. Uh, it's both and situation. So I run the syndicated arm of Murphy Research, but in fact, most of the business is custom market research. So on my side, we say, oh, we need to understand the driving forces underneath health and wellness so that then we can help people, help companies and help people by understanding how these macro trends are going to impact their business, how they're impacting consumers. And then of course, on the custom side, we have companies come to us say, we know this is happening. We want to do this. Is this the right solution to that problem? And, and from the syndicated standpoint, what are the types of things that you've been, we were talking about health and wellness, but what are the types of things you've been working on and, and looking at? So the, our syndicated business is not just state of our health, but state of our health is kind of like my main, my main first child, my biggest baby. Yep. And it's a holistic tracker, health and wellness tracker. And it's designed to be holistic because we saw a need in the marketplace for that kind of research. There's a lot of, you can get a lot of syndicated research on just food in particular. Yep. You can also get research on fitness. You can also get research on say mindfulness, although that is a new and emergency space, an emerging space. But, but combining them is actually a little bit more difficult than you would think. Each of those areas is a whole world unto itself that you could dig into forever. But from the consumer standpoint, they all fit together. So this uh, particular study is, it combines research on what consumers are thinking about in terms of healthy eating. What does it mean? How are they acting on it with fitness, with physical activity, with mindfulness, and then with other kind of more general health and wellness attitudes and behaviors to paint, I think, a much more realistic picture of how consumers combine all of those things. And it's not as intuitive as you might expect, right? Fitness and, and nutrition don't always layer onto each other in the <laughs> ways that you would think they would. Um, um, and it's, Go ahead. So no, in that sense, all right. So let's let's just take an example. For let's say I'm I'm producing a company. I'm producing collagen peptide supplements. All mm -hmm. right. I want to access this data to see, like what? So, for instance, we do we can cut if you want to straight to certain types of consumers based on purchasing maybe not all the way down to collagen peptides, but we can look at uh, consumers who are adding protein to the diet, consumers who either purchase or consume various types of fitness supplements, protein powders, things like that. Or right. we can tell you about the broader world of consumers who might be interested in your product, whether that's, are you interested in marketing toward a more fitness oriented consumer? Are you interested in marketing toward maybe uh, new moms who are trying to get the body back? That's when I started taking collagen, for instance, <laughs> or maybe for older folks who are trying to maintain health as they get older. So we can paint a picture of each of those consumers and then use that information to devise strategies into how you might be able to access that market, depending on what your target might be. So when you were putting, talk about methodology for a minute. So for instance, for this, this study, 
What was the methodology? Did you how, did you start out with the design? Did you start out with parameters, a railroad track? What did you have? Well, we had a I we had a vision, and the vision was this holistic tracker that would solve questions that we were uh, receiving from clients across multiple sectors, right? In in our custom research, we have a broad base of different industries that we serve. And a lot of them were coming to us with similar types of questions around health and wellness. So that was the original vision. And then we we designed it almost like a custom project. So if somebody had come to us and asked us to do like our perfect tracker for this type of information, what would we make? And we made it. Methodologically, it's uh, so it's US based and it's a continuous tracker rather than kind of a point in time that might get repeated every year or so. So we've been collecting data. It's a thousand completes a month, unique consumers since 2018, which means our data set is now like 40,000 folks deep. And we have all this great time series data, which has been really invaluable, of course, lately. So we can see what is actually due to COVID, what was happening before COVID, what's just a trend that happens every spring or every holiday season. And we decided to do it that way because, again, we wanted to get more accurate insights into like trends versus fads as well as this kind of seasonality of health engagement, because it is quite seasonal in many respects. Otherwise, it's just, it's a rep to census tracker. We, it's an online survey. It's about 30 minutes long. It can be shorter or longer, depending on how engaged you are in whatever right. area yep. the you're assigned to. And again, it covers like general health and wellness. There's a fitness deep dive a nutrition deep dive, and also a mindfulness deep dive. And based on your answers, we assign you to one or the other so that you're not sitting there taking a survey forever. <laughs> and then it's ages 13 and up. So we have teens all the way up to silent generation. <clears throat> and and are you looking for, well, obviously you're looking for trends, right? Mm-hmm. You're also looking for anomalies if something pops up or whatever. But admittedly, either you guys had great timing or you knew that something was coming that was going to be a huge shift uh, or the pandemic started and you went, what is this going to do to this? Because Clearly, in the period of time you've been collecting data, there should be a considerable shift in a lot of the answers, right, in in, in what's going on. This is what I think what all of the brands, whether they're in basic food and organic and whatever, or they're in beverage Uh functionality, or whether they're trying to do immune supplements, are all going, what happened Uh and, and how has this How's this changed? So what did you guys find out and what was what was the reaction just honestly when you realized that there was going to be a global pandemic? Well, if we had known there would be a global pandemic, <laughs> we would have alerted people. Um yeah, right. just send up the smoke signals. Right. Yeah. But honestly, as soon as as soon as the pandemic began, we thought, wow, look, we are sitting on top of this kind of treasure trove of data and we started tracking it right from the very beginning and there have been there have been a lot of changes and the some of them are like more long lasting than others so one of ah. them and I could talk there's been quite a few uh, well so to just, be to be fair we're still in the pandemic we still are we shouldn't call right, it right. Which is, pandemic by, by, by the way I folks at home <laughs> right yeah folks at home we're still in a pandemic and when this airs we'll still be in a pandemic so mm-hmm. But can you 
draw out a couple of things that either surprised you or, I mean, just that you didn't think you were going to capture it, you did? Yeah. So for one, one of the things that I have like kind of just pulled together recently is that we've been interested in this question of did more people become engaged with health because of the pandemic? Because it kind of, you could argue it either way, right? But I think there are, there's a good chunk of people that have become more, more engaged either in fitness or nutrition or both. But did this actually affect those other kind of like the true couch potatoes who've never, (laughs) are not interested in either of those things? And, and the answer is, um, is no, it didn't. Like those people continue to be not engaged with health and, and they're very, it's a very stable population of about like 18% of Americans who are not even like aspirationally engaged with fitness. They just spent more time on the couch. I guess. Well, I I mean, in truth, a lot of them think they're just fine because we've looked into them too, to try to understand them a little bit better. But the, for the Americans who already were engaged with health in some respect, they have gotten more engaged over the course of the pandemic. Okay. Um, and it's particularly true in nutrition. So the same number of people are you know, reporting that they exercise as ever have, but the number of people who qualify according to our definition as nutrition engaged, which I can say what that means in a second, has gone up significantly year over year since 2019. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of that, a lot of that obviously is food oriented choices and whatever. Uh So maybe some of the people who are kind of, who may have been interested may have done trial or whatever, but weren't fully buying into necessarily reading every label all of a sudden, boom, it's now important to us. Yeah. And what has happened is that, as I said, that the kind of population who are not doing anything, the unengaged has remained the same but it's folks that were already engaged with fitness becoming engaged newly with nutrition, with healthy eating. Okay. All right. Which when that happens, that becomes a much more health engaged individual. Once you, once you put both pieces together, then you really see changes in in terms of shopping behaviors and how people are eating and how frequently they're exercising. So the people have deepened their engagement with health in a way that is different from 2019. So in that sense, brands, right, have an opportunity, obviously, Mm -hmm. to to work on this. The one thing that really stuck out in in reading your bio intro was the word storytelling. Because storytelling has become such a major issue in terms of brands who have been successful for 20 years and all of a sudden now are hiring an agency to develop their brand story because they got to have one. Right. So how does, how does storytelling or how do you, how do you bring the storytelling part out of the the data that you're looking at? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I can answer that. I can answer that a couple of ways. So one way is qualitative research, which helps add some consumer life. Okay. It's coming direct from the source, right? So we, and we do, so every quarter we add a qualitative supplement to bring some consumer voices to those numbers. And it's focused on a particular topic. So for instance, this last quarter, we were interested in, in gender differences in terms of approaches to eating and fitness. Yep. But then I also... I'm interested in kind of the broader picture too. So I am a news hound. I'm always reading the news. I'm interested in trends. 
I talk to my friends about what they're doing. And then that's the kind of dots that I also like to pull in. So for instance, earlier this year, beginning of the year, we had done a topical report focused on Gen Z. So we took the state of our health data and just cut it by Gen Z, which in our definition is ages 13 through 24. And then we right. also looked at within that teens and young adults. And at this point, that, that was Q4. So we were three quarters into the pandemic. And the their data had changed a lot over the course of the pandemic. It was very clear that young people were suffering and they were suffering in ways that were distinctive from older generations. Wow. Okay. And it was their fitness engagement had fallen significantly. It, it looked like a sad little mountain going downhill. And nutrition <laughs> engagement was the same story. They were giving themselves worse grades than just one year ago on their life priorities. Because we also ask about like, where does fitness fall in relation to spending time with your friends, to advancing your career, just to understand the roles of healthy eating and, and fitness and mindfulness amongst all their other priorities. They, they were giving themselves really poor grades. They were clearly having a tough time. And then now we have seen that turn develop as into a trend in the news. At the time, I had only seen a few stories in the big press about it. And now it's all over the place. Right. You know, we've got skyrocketing anxiety and depression. And I knew that that was there and I knew it was coming. So that's, that's what I mean. We can see, I try to see things in the data that connect up to larger, larger picture trends that um, are developing as I see them in the, in the press and online. The, the interesting aspect about that would be that you, you, you would think, I mean, I, I just as a walking around civilian, that the Gen Zers are the most connected, societally connected yeah. generation with their own age group because they were raised with cell phones, smartphones, mm -hmm. and they have social platforms that their, their older siblings didn't have going into it. And yet that electronic connectivity didn't seem to do much good during the lockdown. Yeah, that was actually exactly what we said. <laughs> like, it seems like these they would be in the best position to have their whole lives shift online. But when we interviewed teens and young adults, what we heard, and it also makes a lot of sense in terms of kind of developmental psychology, at that stage in your life, what matters most is entirely outward oriented, right? It's your friends, it's your job, it's school, it's going out, it's meeting significant others and dating. It's not, it's it's not about like your internal or family focus. It's about yourself engaged with broader society beyond the family and establishing yourself as an adult in this broader world. And that's exactly what the pandemic cut off. Cut off. And on, on the other hand, and we used to, we used to call this grandmother research, but which is <laughs> right. But in grandmother, my grandmother research was that I had several encounters with seniors, grandparents who in the course of the pandemic, cut off physically from their grandchildren, adapting mm -hmm. to new media, to Facebook, to social media, to their phones, to these things that you can send pictures to, and it goes up on a screen and, and they're yeah. 80, they're 80 years old and they're getting it right there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yes, it was terrible that the, the kids couldn't come, but they weren't going to give up that interaction that mm -hmm. just was not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So Kind of a very, almost like a dichotomy, if you will. Have, you know, yeah. Uh, and it pushed people who would like grandmothers, like my parents, who 
my parents are pretty tech savvy, but over the hurdles, some of the to do things that seem actually tailor made for older folks, right? Uh, like Instacart, if you have trouble with mobility, if it's hard for you to get to the grocery store, like there's all these great services now that will bring the grocery store to you. And yet it's older folks who are the least likely to use them. And so now the pandemic kind of, I think, solved a few of those problems, at least for some folks. It it pushed some people to, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and what, I mean, in, in, in across my clients I work with who are very e-commerce focused, the one thing that regardless of product or whatever the trend is that we did not see the decline that we thought we were going to see after the boom that was so obvious uh, in the initial start of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So yeah, some people have adopted to simply buying. That's a product I buy on Amazon. That's it. And even though it may be in my grocery store or in the drug store, that's not where I buy it now. Yeah. Did you guys look at any shopping trends and stuff with, with in in the wellness system? Yes, we have. And one of them is this, lingering uh, and, you know, lingering is not the right word, this continuing engagement with online shopping. And it's been interesting to watch who is actually doing that because um, online shopping increased grocery shopping specifically mm-hmm. among groups that previously had been holdouts. Right. And that's o- older folks. So boomers, Gen X, and then also women. Yeah. People who've always said the reason for shopping is because they enjoy going to the store. But even if you enjoy going to the store, you don't go enjoy going to the store every time, right? <clears throat> right. No, no. And I, I, I am really, I like food. I like to go look at what's out there and check out new brands. But even I don't like going to the store all the time. And what we've seen is that goes up and down with waves of the pandemic. So during surges, those same groups will return to those online shopping behaviors. And then it dips down. They'll go back to the store once they feel like it's fine to do so. And so they still prefer to shop in person. But for younger consumers, for millennials and Gen Z, it went up and it stayed high. And so those habits have changed and they're not going back. Um, and just yeah. personally, in my own household, we now use Instacart on a pretty much weekly basis. And it's for the trip that nobody wants to make. It's right. Thursday night and we're out of milk and we're out of yeah. cereal. We oh, need yeah. some things to eat for the next few days. And I don't want to go after work to the store. That's the worst time to go to the store. And that's when we use Instagram. Where you go. Yeah, it's it seems it's been so interesting to watch. But again, grandmother research, but me is I try all these things because I have to, because I'm in the industry. So right. if somebody comes out with a new delivery service, I have to try it because I have to know what it's like. Mm-hmm. And what's really surprised me was we actually we, we did a it was it was Walmart and it was a bunch of stuff because it was honey nut Cheerios or something. And it's like it doesn't matter if it comes from Walmart or any place else. So we're getting it there. And we elected to use Bopus, which is buy online, pick up in store, you know, mm-hmm. uh, pick up at store. Yeah. So we went and it's fairly popular and they have the parking spaces and you go and this is, it's all going well, whatever mm-hmm. else. And we're sitting there and we call and it, and it takes a while because they're a little shorthanded, right? Uh-huh. Then it's like, okay, so do you have your order number? No, but this is the name and whatever else, blah, blah, blah. Then it's, hmm, we, we can't seem to find it here. Are, are you sure Uh-oh. it's from this store? And what had happened was for some reason, who knows, whatever, it is not physically the quite closest store to us. Interesting. 
And what had happened was, was the session got interrupted. My wife went back online. When she went back online, it had switched to the other store. And, and, and they could find that out, by the way. They said, oh, could you look and see? And sure enough, uh-huh. it was another address. So we're both sitting there and we're going, okay, so we got to drive to the other store or whatever. And I go, you know what? Delivery is much nicer. It is. <laughs> what? I needed to experience <laughs> this. I've now experienced it. I'm going back to delivery. Thanks. Whatever else. So, yeah. and, and I'm one of those people who enjoys going into the store because again, I have to walk all the aisles to see what's new because that's yeah. my business. So, but yeah, with with younger people, I certainly can see that without that established habit and yeah. without a need business need to do it, it's like, oh, I don't need to make this trip. This is not necessary. Right. Next week. And because you know exactly what you need. It's it's that inconvenient fill-in trip. And so I like to go to the store and I go on my own time. Right. The yeah. store that I choose for the more experiential like browsing trip. And I think that's really going to shift. We we don't see that dropping off in the same way for younger folks as it does for Amazing. older folks. Let me ask you real quick about mindfulness. First of all, how do you guys define it and how do you measure it? So we define it behaviorally, but it is self it's self-reported behavior. And so for us, a mindfulness engaged consumer is someone who says that they meditate. Um, they do yoga specifically for mindfulness, like a mindful movement practice. They track mindfulness with an app or they do some kind of journaling or a gratitude ritual on a weekly right. basis or more. Okay. And that is about 39% of the gen pop qualifies per that definition. Wow. And we cut, we decided to keep that a little bit tighter. So our other, our definitions of nutrition and fitness engaged are um, also behavioral, but a little bit broader because we want to cast a wider net, but for mindfulness, because mindfulness can mean so many things, we decided to, for now, keep it a little bit narrow to understand what consumers we felt like who were a little bit engaged, engaged in the way that we cared about the most were what they were doing to get a handle on the trend. Does does the fact that they self-qualify as that, does that tend to show up in any other part of the research? Do they skew one way or another? Are they oh, yeah, nutritionally they sure conscious? <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. I, yeah I so it was actually, so we, the mindfulness kind of what we call the module, the set of questions has been in there for, in the questionnaire for a while. And we've, we did a deep dive on them just this past, I think it was Q2. So mid-year. Yep. And a lot of people had only started in the last two years. So mindfulness got a big bump, which we all, you know, it's kind of common knowledge by now, got a big bump from the pandemic. But the people who joined during the pandemic are much different than the people who were doing it pre-pandemic. They're much younger and they're more likely to be millennials. They're more likely to have children at home. They have higher income. So they're really coming to like deal with the stresses and challenges of the pandemic. Whereas the consumers who were mindfulness engaged before are much older. They have a strong female skew at 60 something percent female. And for them, it's mainly like a religious and kind of spiritual practice. Okay. With a subset of them doing more kind of traditional meditation based techniques. But the newcomers are doing all kinds of stuff. Like they're really looking all over the place for ways to deal with the mental stress of the pandemic. It's a quest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you have this kind of, it's, it, they're not polar opposites by any means, but this, these two populations that are very different that are engaged in the same thing. <clears throat> but it's, if you take them together, 
people who are engaged in mindfulness are much more engaged with healthy eating and with fitness. They spend more across all categories. They are more consistent in their behaviors. And qualitatively, we heard that it's because mindfulness becomes kind of like a third pillar that reinforces and re- keeps them engaged with their other behaviors. They get they f- are able to focus more on their long-term goals, and then they suffer less from these like kind of daily uh, setbacks with energy or motivation, the kind of things that keep people from doing the workout or eating the salad or what have you. <laughs> Do it. We we talk about so I use the phrase mid-pandemic still, but there is a consensus that in fact some type of variant of COVID is going to be around for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the German foreign minister who put it so eloquently that you're either going to have the disease and survive, you're going to have a vaccine, or you're not going to survive. And those are the only three outcomes that we're going to have. Yep. So, so going forward, as I mean, people obviously have reacted in different ways. We had kind of the lockdown, then we had the top of the kettle came off and everything went crazy. And then uh-huh. all of a sudden we went back down again or whatever. Sustained sustained social practices going forward. I don't know when the last time was you were in a movie theater, but you know. Have not been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but is there something in the research that says a certain part of that population is simply tired of this and is just going to go back to doing whatever they were doing? Oh, for sure. Let the chips yeah. fall. Yeah. And in fact, they they've been doing that. Yeah. So we have kind of a varying level of, uh, we've measured, we put it as concern about the pandemic. Yep. And so you can see it shift as there are waves, but there is, it's the same percentage everybody else cites. It's about 25 to 35% of people say they are not concerned at all. It hasn't affected them. It hasn't changed their habits. And those are the people still going to movies. <laughs> I like, you know, and there've been some movie events lately that I wouldn't have minded going to, but it was like, ah, roll a dice. I'm not sure I, I want to. Yeah, I've, I have a, I have done other things, but I did. I went to the mall this past weekend and just <laughs> had to leave. Had to leave <laughs> after a while. It was too much. But so yes, there's there's a certain number of people who, it, at least in terms of what they tell us have not changed their behavior at all. But we also see other, other kind of, I guess you call them demographics that have been more and less conscientious. So just speaking very generally, women and then Gen X and boomers have been much more conscientious around kind of social restrictions, whereas men and younger consumers have not, or been less so, I should say. And that shows up in terms of- Yeah. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But so for instance, this doesn't have to do with food, but with gyms, Gyms have now reached the same levels of membership that they had in 2019, but the demographics have shifted dramatically. It's much more than half of gym users are under 40, more than half are men, whereas previously it was much more representative of the gen pop. And the same is true actually for dining out. So women and older people stopped dining out immediately, right in March and April of last year Yep, and have not really gone back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whereas men, they like, they kept doing it. They kind of stopped later in the summer and then they went back. <laughs> and then they all, men, <laughs> men always outsource more than women when it comes to meal sourcing. But so they, they also made up for the gap, the smaller gap in their dining out with higher levels of outsourcing of other 
other types of meals. So that's takeout delivery, frozen meals, right. um, packaged fresh from grocery. Delivered. And women, yeah. Yeah. And women didn't do that. They made up for the gap almost entirely with cooking from home. And yeah. they have started going back. So this past couple of quarters, they've started going back, but it's still not to the level that men have. And this is now two years that they have been cooking at home regularly. And that that is a permanent change. So these I think that occasions which previously might have warranted a trip out to like fast casual or I don't have a plan tonight, like we're just gonna go out and get burgers. Those yeah. those are gonna those are much smaller now. Yeah, yeah. Because now you have the strategies, you have the food, you have the recipes, what to do in those situations which is a boon for home-focused brands, right? Yes, very, very definitely. Because they were on the, uh, they were on the fence and not, not on the fence. That's not a good phrase. What am I looking for? They were circling the drain prior to the pandemic. All of them. What blue apron. Yeah. Now all these meal chef, helpers whatever, are back. Right? Uh-huh. And then, and then I remember Albertsons, I think bought, which one of them, blue apron, whatever. And they started putting some of the stuff in the stores and you would wa- you walk in and in this cooler in the front of the store, you would have a packaged dinner a ready solution. to go home and cook. Now, uh-huh. walking in as a marketer in that area, I look at it and I go, okay, guys, that's a brilliant idea. However, the stores rely upon the stuff that you did not come in to buy right. to make money. You don't make money off the stuff that you buy every day. That's not, or, right. the, you know, ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, a little, but but that's not where the profit comes from. The profit mm-hmm. comes from you're in the store, you go buy something, you go, oh, I need cocoa. Oh, I need mm-hmm. this. Oh, I need it. Not mm-hmm. going in and going, oh, here's dinner in a box. Right. Yeah, it has a good margin, <laughs> but it's like, I said, that margin is not going to live because it's going to kill the meat department's revenue, right? I, whatever. And sure enough, they went away very, very quickly. But there was this whole idea of we're going to just deliver the meal. And a lot of the, whether it's, again, Home Chef or Factor or whatever, they're doing okay. I mean, yeah. 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 I think the pandemic, uh, I mean, I, it's strong to say that saved some of those companies, but yeah, definitely think, yeah. saw a, a bump in subscription that, because previously meal kits were made a big splash and then no. kind of trickled away. And, but this was, this made a, um, this brought it brought new life. Yes, back to, to that. The, yes, to the old dog sector. With, without getting into anything pr- proprietary, obviously, mm-hmm. on your custom research, what kinds of things are companies looking at now? That's a good question. I think there's still a lot of how has the pandemic actually affected different parts of the business and what what's going to happen next. I think re- revising pictures of who target consumers are in light of how behaviors have shifted and also just kind of tracking the ongoing turmoil that it's, it's different for different industries. Right. But it's, we continue to be in this like dynamic, rapidly shifting situation. And that impacts everything from financial products to the way people shop for food, to the way that they exercise, to the tech that they use. So just kind of figuring out what to what to do now? What is changing? Why is it changing? Is it going to stay changed? That's been a lot of a lot of our recent research, I think. Did, did you pick up a lot of stuff from the quote unquote great resignation? We do. Yeah. So you can see that in in the data. And it's this a lot of the trends that I've been kind of looking at in terms of annual trends compared to last year. 
are much stronger among millennials in particular. And that's who is driving the great yeah. resignation in both the kind of white collar and working class service sector forms of that phenomenon. Right. So they have millennials actually, everybody had a rough time, <laughs> but year over year since 2019, more and more of them have become engaged with both nutrition and fitness. So they have ended up better off as a population than they started. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, right. Right. And then, yeah. I mean, millennials already had this like really distinctive focus on wellness that is driving a lot of trends pre-pandemic, right? The organic, the plant-based, the story, like you're branding a story, your brand needing yep. to show some kind of responsibility credentials. All those things are things that millennials are still really interested in. And, and now like even more so. So it's almost like they're doubling down. They're getting even more millennially. <laughs> I think, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that keeps popping up in conversations with folks in the industry and folks I work with is this, the idea of sustainability that we mm -hmm. had for quite a while that was kind of there and it was okay. And it was okay. Whatever. All a nice of a sudden, bonus, now, right? right now, all of a sudden has elevated yeah. to, oh my God, we need to do something about our carbon footprint. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that there is, and that is even more true if you're talking to Gen Z, right? Young, younger, and even more idealistic in some ways, in ways that are good. I don't mean that in a bad way. Yeah. Well, but, it's yeah. Their, so it's their world we're ruining. So, exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. And millennials are the, also the ones having children, and so that puts you in that mindset too. What kind of yep. world are we leaving? And it's all like just in terms of what we've been dealing with from a natural disaster standpoint. It yeah, just, yeah. I feel like the last two years have really felt like the world falling apart and in many ways and sustainability is one of those ways. And so we see um, year over year, significant increases in the number of millennials who say they're eating vegetarian and vegan diets to the point where now it's 20%, one in five it's among nutrition engaged. So right to bring that down, if we're talking about whole gen pop, but among millennials who are engaged with healthy eating one in five, say that they're eating a vegetarian and vegan diet. And we've actually started to see decreases in fresh meat purchasing. Yeah. Yeah. Which weren't there before because most people who buy a plant-based like meat and dairy alternatives are buying them in addition to regular meat and dairy. Right. And so now we're seeing that go up while meat is going down. Yeah. And so to me, that says people are but, but finally so is, acting so on So is fake meat though. Fake meat's right. going down too. Well, we, we have, so we have a net and the net is, it combines the fake meat with also the alt milks and alternative dairy and yeah. Oh, yeah. which is still growing. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think that the alternative meat is kind of ripe for a, if you turn it over and look at the list of ingredients, it doesn't meet a lot of those kind of clean label oh, uh, no. oh, criteria no. that people are looking no, for. No, no. Right. And the deeper you get into, you know, vegetarian and vegan eating, the the more kind of savvy you get about how to feed yourself, I think. Right. But on, on the other hand, everything has protein in it now. If you can get protein from anywhere, do right. you need a piece of meat or a piece of fake meat? At yes, the center exactly. Of your yeah. I, I w attended a conference once where a panel, including people from meat industry, regular meat industry and vegan, vegetarian, whatever. And they got into kind of a little tiff, the two of them on the stage. And there was a gentleman there from Africa who was attending and he gets up to the microphone and says, Americans, 
choice of proteins. Like, guys, <laughs> this is a wonderful debate for you to have. If only people around right. the world could have this debate right. about how am I going to get my protein today? <laughs> and and what is it what is it going to do to the world as I'm getting my protein? Is that is yeah. it? Yeah. But exactly. The other aspect was, and I interviewed a, a research person, scientific lab research person, about food stuffs, and he we talked about impact of pandemic, and he made the point that the pandemic has been able to do what wars, religions, natural disasters could not do, and that was to get people to stop, mm-hmm. to stop their normal livelihood, their normal practices for a length of time. Mm-hmm. And he goes, everyone at once. Right. And and right. And it, it's the same time. And he goes, they're not used to being still. They're not used to being quiet. And they're not used to being confined. Mm-hmm. And they were all those things mm-hmm. to whatever extent. I mean, a lot of people still went to work and all that, but everything changed. And so there's bound to be some shifts and some probably solidifications in some places. There's going to be whatever. But for marketers, incredibly challenging to try and figure out where that ball is moving. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, so qualitatively we have had a lot of people tell us of all, all age groups, I reevaluated my priorities. We sat down and had a conversation about what we value as a family and how we are going to hold to that moving forward. And I think that that's been very widespread. And we see that in the great resignation in the kind of in our personal priority data. We see, again, millennials and younger folks in particular putting a higher value on work-life balance than they did before. So that's like moved up the ranks in a pretty significant way. But yeah, so what those values are now, and again, they're still in flux and how well people will be able to hew to them as life becomes more, whatever normal looks like in the future right? is, well, is going to be really interesting. Yeah. And the old, the old adage was uh, six weeks to have it. We went past that in like just a Long flash. So yeah. going to go on. If folks are interested, Sarah, more uh, information on Murphy Research and the stuff that you guys are doing in the state of our health survey, where do they go? Well, you can go to murphyresearch.com, spelled the usual way. <laughs> and uh, you can also just Google Murphy Research State of Our Health. That'll take you, it might be easier. You can find it on the website. So we have uh, information there along with all of our reports that are kind of available for purchase. We have a blog where we uh, kind of highlight key things here and there. Okay. All right. All right. I mean, I you can always email for, me too. I need to sign up for the blog. I just, yeah, I didn't do that when I was there, but yeah. Okay. All right. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 and if we don't, uh, well, you're, I don't, don't remember what it was. Is it Sarah at Murphy research? It's S Marion, S M A R I O N at Murphy research.com. All right. And we'll put that in the posting, the mailing. So people have it too. That'd be great. Appreciate yeah. Thank it. you. So, okay, we've had all this time to talk and you've had time to think, of course, about how we put our guests on the spot. (laughs) And um, in a audience full of entrepreneurs, emerging brands, people that are a lot of hope for the future, can you give us a word or a phrase or a a quote of some kind to leave them with from the research side? Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, I feel like in light of what we have been talking about, one thing that comes to mind is that we're not in a new normal 
And I don't know that there is a new normal. (laughs) The new normal is going to be constant change for the next long while, I think. Yeah, yeah. The, the, The normal is there is no normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Yeah. We can, we can get away from that now. Maybe. Yeah. No, that's all right. I can, I can take that to the bank. Yeah. <laughs> be, what is going, I, I think the, 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 the last thing I heard that made me really stop and think about the impact on business from all the changes was a fellow who makes a wonderful snack, but his packaging comes from China. Mm-hmm. And he was on about a 15 to 20 week lead time, which is pretty common for large packaging runs. No big deal. Gets a call from his account person and the account person says, oh, by the way, the new lead time is 40 weeks. Ooh, double. And he goes, that's a year. Yeah. How do I know what I'm going to need in a year? And the guy said, well, you need to know because there's a list. And if you can't tell me, you just go to the bottom of the list. So it's like, oh, like wow. oh, so how do you, how do you do that? So this is a guy who wants to know what you have in the survey because he's got to make a commitment, serious commitment. Right. For another year. weeks out. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. So we do see even now. So the, the past two years have just looked like a roller coaster, all kinds of measures. behaviors most importantly in terms of like how many people are doing a diet how many people are shopping online as we discussed compared to 2019 which is has some seasonal effects but much much more kind of stayed data and and 2020 was like that which you would expect but 2021 has been in some ways even more like higher highs and lower lows and from day to day yeah. Look at the stock market. And exactly. And month to month. And I, I just think I suspect that it's going to look like that for um, for the next while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, and so I think that kind of some, a lot of it is seasonal. And so we can tell you last season here is what happened and how it was different from the, the previous quarter. I, I think that makes continuous data um, kind of even more important in that way, because you can look at it and at least understand where right. the change is happening and how much it is, but it's, it's an exciting time. <laughs> yeah, fasten your seatbelts folks. Yeah. It's still going to be a wild ride. Well, thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us and stuff, folks. It's a Murphy yeah, you. you can go to and the state of our health survey, as well as lots of other stuff <laughs> Sarah can talk to you about. So, but uh, thanks. And we'll plan on having you back on the program down the road. Maybe when this is whatever over is, and, and and see kind of where things have sorted out. I, I really I think it'd be fun. Well, I look forward to that day. <laughs> Thank you so much. And thanks, by the way, to all the rest of you for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast, brought to you, as always, by the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, you should be part of the Next Level Brands community. Courses, resources, workshops, founder coaching, networking, and a whole lot more. If you're having a challenge with distributors, funding, or promotions, the Community Hub is fully searchable by keyword and can take you to the answers that you're seeking. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next.com 
with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.